Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. I am so excited about introducing our, our speaker for today. We have been talking about the spiritual disciplines those disciplines that are the means of grace. They're the way that God serves us strengthening and power to live the Christian life. And our guest speaker today is Chris Jolly. Come on up, Chris. Chris is, a, um, is our college pastor along with his wife, Grace. They're doing an amazing job. All the college students give a big shout out. I, but what I, he's going to be talking about today is something Chris practices. And uh, it's one of those incredibly critical spiritual disciplines that sometimes we Protestants don't always get. So I'm excited to share, the, share that he's going to be sharing out of his heart. And he has the word deep in him. Thanks, Steve. All right. Welcome at church. So grateful to be here. So glad that y'all are here this morning. So over the past few weeks, we've been talking about disciplines. We're in the, our D cycle talking about our specific, the D for disciplined. So there's five Ds. Do y'all remember them? And they're up there. Great. So uh, we started with decided, delivered, disciplined, developed, and deployed. And these are our D cycle. You continue to hit them for the rest of your life, as Steve and Brenda will probably attest to. And this is about being a devoted disciple of Jesus. This morning, I'm going to go in depth on the discipline of confession of sin. Before I do that, uh, I will give some disclaimers. I will use as simple language as possible for the youngest in there to the oldest, uh, and I won't go into any detail or anything that you'll have to do pastoral care as parents. Uh, So if there's any anxiety, you can just lay that down. Uh, We'll be talking about laying down burdens, so this is the beginning of that for y'all. There's three different categories for disciplines as we get into it. Uh, We have walk in the spirit, walk with the church, and walk out the kingdom. Two weeks ago, we had walk in the spirit, talking about meditating on the word of God, and Travis gave gave a great word on that. He had four points. They're really simple, and you'll be able to remember them. I do not have four points, so I apologize. You will not remember them, but I have an application, and hopefully you can follow that. Last week, Tracy Evans shared on walking out the kingdom, specifically on evangelism. And I know evangelism can feel really heavy and weighty when we talk about it, but she put it in such simple and good language. It's about sharing what we love with other people. And then when I found out that the majority of our congregation loves sushi. Uh, So if you love sushi, can I get an amen? Amen. There you go. Uh, so that we, we, she talked about how when you share what we love, that's just some, something natural and it flows out of us. It's not a, a work that we're trying to do. It's a part of love. It's a part of what we love and cherish deeply, sharing with the people around us. And today I'm talking about something about walk with the church. And it's confessing sin. And the reason why it's walk with the church is because you can't do it without another human. It's really basic, really simple. You need someone to confess sin to. And like Steve said, there was a reformation. It was pretty cool. We're part of that, which is good news. Uh, We kind of set aside the priesthood of believers. And this is the heaviest language I'll probably give for the day. So hopefully the kids can get something. Maybe not. We'll find out. Uh, But we set aside, we, we, we lay hold of priesthood of believers, but we set aside confessing sin to priests. 
And today we're going to talk about how to recover that discipline in our life, and we'll go in depth in that. All right, but before we begin, I have two scriptures for us to read, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to pray together, uh, because if God doesn't speak to you, you can, you can receive absolutely nothing from me, 100% guarantee. Uh, if you don't hear him this morning, you don't really hear anything. All right, Proverbs 28, 13, and 14. Says, and that is really tiny. I can't read that. Whoever hides one's wrongdoing will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes wrongdoing will receive mercy. Blessed is the one who reveres God always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into trouble. And as the Holy Spirit says, this is in Hebrews 3, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So take care, brothers and sisters, that none of you have an evil heart of unbelief that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another every day so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deception. This morning, I hope to be an encouragement that your heart would be softened to the Lord, that you wouldn't be hardened by sin's deception. But more than that, I'm hoping and praying that he speaks to you and that today if you hear his voice that you wouldn't harden your heart and you receive what the Lord has to give to you this morning. So I'm going to pray and I want to also pause. I want you to pray individually and ask that he would speak to you, that your heart would be opened, that your ears be attuned to his voice. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you, Jesus, for your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your voice. We thank you for these kids. To such belongs the kingdom of heaven. I thank you for every person that's here. Jesus, we ask for you to speak. Would you speak through your word? Would your word examine our hearts? Would you speak to us? Draw out everything that you desire to draw out. We ask that for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you pour out your spirit richly upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, why don't you take 30 seconds or so and just ask the Lord to speak to you individually. Thank you, Jesus. All right, amen. So this morning, in simple language, I hope to convey to you uh, the, the depth of what it means to confess your sins to one another, that you would receive healing. Uh, we're going to discuss the function of priests and temples, hopefully, once again, in simple language. Uh, the legal system, a few Hebrew and Greek words. Uh, we're going to have a fun time. Uh, all building a foundation of what it means to confess your sins to one another. Uh, I have a kind of structured outline for those who need structure. Uh, I have a title, I have a subtitle, and then I have a subheader if you really want that. All right, so <laughs> spiritual disciplines. Uh, walk with the church. That's the overall category. The discipline is confession. Title is being a royal priest. It means being a priest who also has kingdom authority. Subtitle, for freedom Christ has set you free. You can have a subheader of the resurrected king who fills you with his Holy Spirit so that you can administer confession and healing and forgiveness of sins to one another and be the manifest presence of God here on earth, um, if you got that. But we'll slowly build that out over time. I also have resources, because I love resources. I love gathering books, and I love reading some of them. Uh, and so here's our, some of them that I've read that I would recommend. Uh, the first one's Glittering Vices. It goes over the seven capital sins that the early church fathers 
mined out over time, gives you language for them, practices of how to walk free from them, and practicals for confessing them. Uh, so if you want language for being apathetic, there's a chapter on that, and it's really convicting. And uh, the, I, I've been personally convicted by it. I would encourage you all, all to read that. Life Together by Diedrich Bonhoeffer, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster, Spirit of Discipline, Disciplines by Dallas Willard. And then there was a guy named David who was a shepherd boy turned king. He wrote two psalms. They're pretty good. You should read them. Get to know them. They go over confession and repentance um, in detail. Psalm 32 is confession. Psalm 51 is repentance. And they go together. So I encourage you all to read that. It's a pretty good resource. And I uh, heard a lot of people have read it before. So would recommend. All right. I'm going to give you a brief history lesson. And then I'm going to share a story. So in world history, most religions have a priest and they have temples. And the purpose of a temple is that is where their God is present. And when you're in that temple, you are interacting with that God. And the priests would be representations of that God to others and show you how to live, how to practice. They would do ministry for you or sacrifices on your behalf. The good news of our God and King, is through the people of Israel, he had a temple that was filled with his presence, and then he commissioned priests to offer sacrifices for people to engage with his presence and to know him. But then he gave a promise that it wouldn't just be a temple that kind of moves around and is just one physical place on earth, but that that temple would fill and cover the entirety of the earth. That that temple wouldn't just be a physical location that has a far gap between people and God's presence, but that that would be one together covering the entirety of earth. That's really, really good news. Because we see in the Old Testament when they erect the tabernacle, when they build the temple, when God's presence comes, it comes in fire and it fills the temple and the priests can't minister. And people are actually pretty afraid of seeing God's glory come on earth. But then David says, I want to build you a temple. And God says, nope, uh, you, sh- you can't build my temple for me. But one of your sons will build a temple for me. And that son will rule and reign forever. And his next son, Solomon, built a temple. And it was beautiful and magnificent. And once again, fire from heaven falls, consumes the sacrifice, and fills the temple with God's glory. But that temple later on gets destroyed and doesn't last. But then our king... King Jesus steps on the scene, and wherever he goes, it's almost like the temple is moving with him, because wherever Jesus is, God's presence is there, and the forgiveness of sins is there. Wherever he is moving, people are encountering God in his full presence. They're getting to know his goodness and his love, but it's in the person. We see his glory and his goodness manifest in Jesus, and there's a story that kind of blows the minds of the religious leaders at the time, which we can be. Uh, we could be religious leaders who could be a little hypocritical or uh, standoffish, but God's, Jesus is breaking that down in us, and he does that in this incredible story. So as he's walking and doing ministry on earth, he gets pretty popular because he's healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. It's pretty crazy, and they've never seen that before, so he has crowds following him. And he ends up teaching in a house, And the priests and the religious leaders are sitting with him. And as he's teaching, four friends are like, hey, you know, I've heard this guy heals people. And they're like, wait a minute, dude, there's a paralytic here. What if we just grabbed him and just brought him in? Like, let's all take this dude to Jesus. 
So they pick him up, they take him to the house, and before they can get in, it's all full, just overflowing. You know, all the tickets were sold out. But they, got, they were so excited and so much faith, they said, I'm gonna, we're going to dig a hole through the roof, remove tiles, dig through. It's not, I don't think it's branches. And they're probably like digging. <laughs> I don't know what that was like. You know, Jesus is talking, like, you know, dust is falling down. And the civil engineers are like, I, I got to go, you know, <laughs> got to, you know, look at the structure. So as the, a hole opens up, they let down this paralytic man. And everything is silent at that point. As a man's descending and is laid before Jesus. And the priests are watching, trying to think, like, all right, what Jesus is going to do? You know, he's healed people. I've seen that. And Jesus, knowing their hearts, he looks at him and says, son, your sins are forgiven. And immediately, the priests are offended because only God can forgive sins. And that happens in a temple. And it happens with sacrifices. They're fine if he heals the sick. They're fine if he raises the dead. That doesn't really bother them. But, you know, saying your sins are forgiven... That's, that's what offends them. And then he looks at them, and he asks a great question, which I'm going to reverse the question for you all today. But he asks them, he says, is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to stand up and walk? But so that you would know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says, son, rise up and walk and go home. And he stands up and leaps, praises God, and goes home. Priests are offended, and they leave, and they want to go kill him. So church, my question for you today is, do you have faith, more faith for God to forgive sins and to do that through you than just to heal someone? Because that's a pretty amazing miracle. And I know, I can say, I would love to be on campus and preach the gospel to college students and just start healing the sick and, you know, show the power of God through that way. That would be really awesome, and I feel like it would make it easier. And I want that. And we want that as a church. We want everything that God has to give us. But the forgiveness of sins is such a great and miraculous, great miracle that we can't lose the power and authority of that. To say to a brother or sister, your sins are forgiven, is incredible. It needed Jesus to rise again from the grave for us to say that and actually be true. So the day that Jesus rose again from the grave, the, uh, John 20, on that evening of his resurrection... Jesus arrives in the house with his disciples. They're pretty afraid uh, because their king and leader just got crucified, and they're kind of out without leadership, and they're, like, they're pretty terrified. Then he walks through the door, uh, doesn't open it, he just goes through it, and so they are even more afraid, so he has to say, peace, uh, be with you. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, in the same way that, that the Father has apostled me, that's the Greek word for sent is apostle, as he has sent me, I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he has this crazy statement. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The authority to forgive sins has been given to those who are followers of Jesus Christ. That's wild. Now, if your theology says, okay, wait. God forgives sins. How is this working? This, this is true. Uh, Jesus is the only mediator between humanity and God, and we, for, we are forgiven by God, but he's also given us authority to administer forgiveness and healing when we confess and repent of sins. If Jesus has given us that authority, it is to our harm to neglect it and to not practice that. And that's what we're going to discuss today. 
We have a, have a quote from Celebration and Discipline, just to once again encourage you all to read that book by Richard Foster. He says, The followers of Jesus Christ have been given the authority to receive the confession of sin and to forgive it in his name. Uh, this is over the chapter in Confession in Celebration Discipline. Once again, I would encourage you to read that. But this is a reality we get to walk in. So let's, talk, let's give a definition of what confession is. Talk about some Hebrew and Greek words for fun. Um, hopefully the kids receive something for that too. We'll see. And then I'm going to give a few points, kind of. Uh, they're not as clear as Travis's, but they're there. And then I'm going to go through talking about why it's important, practicals of us doing it, and then have a time for us to respond to the Lord. All right, first, first off, I'm going to give you a really in-depth and mental exercise definition of confession. It's acknowledging what is true. Okay, that's it. So that's what confession is. You are acknowledging what is true. Just, that's, that's reality. Uh, not going to go into sin or to God right now. Just confession. If you're in court and you give a confession, you are saying that is true. You can hold it up. You can test it. This is truth. And then the Greek words, there's uh, two Hebrew words and three Greek words. When they're used, the majority of time, confession is used to acknowledging what is true, specifically about who God is. So in Hebrew, the word for confession, confess and confession are translated the majority of the time as thanksgiving or praise. And the literal translation is to raise your hands. Uh, so one is to hold out your hand, the other one is to raise your hand. So people have been doing that in worship for you know, a few thousand years, it's probably good for us to do that uh, today as well. But the majority of the time, it's used in the context of worship, but occasionally, like in Psalm 51, it's used as confession of sins. He's acknowledging what is true about what he has done, specifically of wrongdoing against God. This, this same, the same thing happens in the Greek. The words for confess and confession are also the same as to profess, to exclaim, to ad- admit, or also to give thanksgiving. You are declaring and you are agreeing with what is true about who God is. So my first point for you is that for, as we begin talking about confession, you need conviction in your hearts about what is true. And what is greater than your sin is the truth about who God is. You need to be convinced and convicted in your heart that he is compassionate that he is good, that he is merciful, that he is abounding with love, that he is present, that he is willing to forgive and heal you. That needs to be a greater truth in your heart than your sin. You need to have clarity on your sin, though. But you need to be convicted in your hearts of God's compassion and his love for you. And your confession in your life, the majority of it, needs to be of who God is, regardless of what you can see and regardless of what you experience. That our confession is first, this is who you are. That you're good, even if I don't, can't see it or can't feel it. That you're good. That you're true. That you're just. Even if I can't see your justice in the earth, that you are just. That you are merciful and compassionate. That even when I feel my sins or my wrongdoings or my secrets I've kept from my parents, trying to throw kid things in there to see if they pay attention, uh, the secrets I kept from others, that you are greater than that. That you're greater than my weakness and brokenness. And that because you're true, that what you say and what you do is true. And I can trust you. The next thing is we need clarity in our words about what we're saying. 
about our wrongdoing and our wrong trusting. So there's our actions that are wrong, that are sin. I change everything from sin to wrongdoing for the kids, but I see that they're uh, having fun. So I might change back to sin. <laughs> We're wrongdoing and wrong trusting or wrong believing. We have two categories. Wrongdoing is our actions. Wrong trusting is where did the source of the action come from? Uh, from that place of what I believed in, I made, I chose something that is sinful. And Jesus said that to the Pharisees. He said, you, you're really good priests at externally looking good, uh, but it's actually what comes out of your heart that defiles you. And then in Mark 7, it's not up there, he gives a very extensive list about what causes your heart to become defiled. He gives you really good language and words for what to confess. We need clarity in our words about our wrongdoing and our wrong trusting. So what we confess is truths about who God is, and we confess our wrongdoing, we confess our wrong behaving, our wrong thinking. We, some of us have stinking thinking, as Steve has said. Um, I know I do. I'm working on that and growing. We confess our wrong trusting. But that is good news because we confess that is because our king has conquered. Our king has defeated our sin and our shame. And he's ruling and reigning. And we confess to a king that forgives us, who has abundance of forgiveness and mercy for us. All right, so why is this important? You know, why do we need to continue to confess sin, not just when we, we're saved and we start following him? Why do we need to make this a practice? First John 1, uh, the next one. First John 1, there you go. This is the message we heard from Jesus. And now we declare this message to you, that God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. That's a really good confession, that God is light and there's no darkness in him at all, that God is good and there is no bad thing in him. He does not do anything bad. He is light and he is good, and that's it. You can put your full faith and trust in that. So therefore, uh, you are lying if, we say, if you say you have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wrongdoing. So from this, we can get, I get three purposes of confession. The first one is you get to experience his freedom and to glorify him. That's the reality of us confessing our sins is, we were singing that in Take a Moment, that we get to, that burden, that weight of sin, that weight of what we've done wrong is lifted, and that we get to be set free to walk with Jesus and to glorify him. Also, when we confess sin, we get to have fellowship with one another, that our sin hinders fellowship with each other. Now, 2,000 years later, we had studies that prove that exists. Uh, we, recently, the United States, they've done studies on how many people, for, for full-grown adults, how many confidants that you have. On average, in America, how many confidants we have. So a confidant is someone who you can share every part of your life with, that there's nothing that you would be willing to hold back. And about 30, 40 years ago, the average American had three where they could share the entirety of their life with. As social media has come out and technology and as our age has continued to grow, to grow, that those numbers have decreased significantly, that the average American about 15 years ago had two, 
and now the average American is down to one. One confidant, which means that you have one person in your life on average that you can share anything going on in your life, any burden, anything at all. When we confess our sins, that brings deep fellowship with one another and true relationship because we're not holding anything back and we're known. And the good news about our great first confession that God is true is that he forgives us and there's no reason to have any hindrance in fellowship with each other or with God. That's really good news. But right now in our world, in our country, the people are lacking deep friendships where they're truly known. And as a church, we can be a light that says, you can be fully known with everything that you can possibly never, would never want to share with anyone. Everything you can share and be fully known and fully loved and fully brought in. Where shame would drive people away, the church can say, no, no, actually, as you confess sin, there's forgiveness and healing and it brings you in. It brings you closer to who God is because that's who our king is. And the third thing is a fellowship with Jesus. When our fellowship is hindered with each other, it's hindered also with Jesus because we're priests, every single one of us, that we are the body of Christ. And if you have hindrance with his body, you're also going to have hindrance with him. 100% guarantee. Because it's the word of God, uh, not my words. Uh, in the body of Christ, as we're knit together and grow together in him, Ephesians 3 says, with the body of Christ, we get to comprehend the fullness of his love. But you have to do it with his people. And he's made us priests. There's something that we lack minister of knowing him and experiencing his fellowship when we're not doing, having fellowship with one another. And there's hindrance in our fellowship when we're not confessing our sins to one another. Feel tracking? Does it make sense? All right. Kind of structured. And I don't know if that's boring or not. So we'll continue on with James 5, and this is how we're going to wrap up. All right, James chapter 5. So James gives us... He, he, this is a summary. This is a, the passage we're going to study for the rest of our time, uh, just for a brief little moment. First John 1 ended with, confess, we confess our sins to Jesus. He forgives us of all of our sins. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And then James 5, James takes that and says, is anyone, you, anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. If you confess your sins to one another but don't receive prayer, you're not going to receive healing. Confession of sins has to also be joined with prayer for one another. But that prayer is a prayer of faith. Other translations say believing prayer or trusting prayer. It's the prayer of faith. Can you all put that back up real quick? Gracias. He transitions from the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick to therefore confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. It's kind of an interesting transition going from someone who's sick and on, I guess, a, you know, laying down sick, God will raise him up, transitioning from physical healing, but tying that physical reality of healing and says, I'm going to speak to another reality. 
that when you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you also receive healing. The Greek word is sozo. It's the same one for healing. Uh, there's also another one for saved in there. That, I don't think it's up there, but uh, the Greek word for healing is sozo. It means to be healed, to be delivered, to be set free, to be saved. So pray for one another that you may be sozoed, that you could be healed, delivered, set free, that you could receive internal healing. And clearly, James had the assumption that some people might be getting sick because of a lack of confessing of sins. If that shocks you, I would encourage you to go read and study it and just do exegesis, reading through and seeing what James is trying to communicate. Clearly, there's there's a great reality that James is hitting on of when we confess sins, that there is healing when we receive prayer. But that prayer is a prayer of faith. It's a matter of faith and a matter of authority. All right, I'm going to back up all of my the history, temple of God, and us being priests. The church today, not this building, but the people, are the temple of God. That when the world says, I want to experience who Jesus is, we say, come experience us, and you'll encounter him and get to know him. And we're also his priests, so not just you're going to encounter him because we're his temple, where his presence is, and that if Jesus' presence is not here with us, we're not the temple. We need his presence. But we're also the priests in showing you who he is, and we're ministering to you what he has done in healing and forgiveness and power and authority, that we as priests do that. We have the authority to do that, but it requires faith. So there's a, I'm going to give that last, uh, last line in James 5, or never mind, I didn't, I didn't give it to you all yet. Next one. I gave it to you in like 10 translations, so, and it's not broken out. Great. Um, I gave it to you all from the KJV to the Amplified, so I'm going to read it over and over again. This is how James 5 ends. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful works. The prayer of a righteous person is able to accomplish much. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much, for those KJV people. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous person makes tremendous power available. It's dynamic and it's working. It's the Amplified. That's how it ends. The prayer, your prayers, because you're a righteous person, because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you have done, because of Jesus' righteousness in your life, your prayer has power and is effective and it works because of what he's done. You need to have faith in your prayers. If you do not have faith in your prayers, the difference between faith prayers, believing prayer, or unbelieving prayers... If you do not have faith-filled prayers, it's not, you're not going to see things working. You don't need to have shame or condemnation about that reality, though, because Jesus has already done all the work for you. And what he's given to you and giving you his spirit and making you a priest and making us a temple of God for his presence to be here on earth as heaven touches earth through our lives. We can have faith and confidence of our resurrected king working through us, and that our prayers are powerful and effective because our king hears us, and our king is willing, and our king desires to work in and through us to administer to his healing and his power to the earth. If you have anything lacking in your life, confess your sins to one another that may be healed, and receive prayer, 
And if you're administering prayer, pray in faith and confidence of Jesus' finished work. If you're lacking anything, fear, anxiety, if there's anything that you, you feel holding you back from God, any place of unbelief or wrestling, it's good to confess your struggles. It's good, to, it's good to wrestle with doubts, and it's good to confess them and not keep them internal. It's good to wrestle with struggles. If, if you kept it in secret, it's going to control you. But when you bring it to life, light and receive prayer, it's, you get set free. So I have one story I want to wrap up with. And then I have, actually, okay, I'm going to be practical applications, and then I'm going to have a story to wrap up with. So how, church, how are we going to do that together? So throughout the next year, we're going to talk about our discipleship groups and how we are going to be doing discipleship groups, the practicals of our groups that we meet together with. We've copied these from the Wesleyan band meetings, from John Wesley starting the greatest movement that we've seen in the Western world. And they had band meetings where they would share the depths of their heart with each other. It'd be of the same, same gender, of the same life stage, so single men with single men, single men, single women. And these are the questions that they would ask in preparation for those meetings that we are going to do for our discipleship groups. Now, this isn't a requirement. Nothing, nothing that I was telling you today is a requirement. It's in your benefit, and it's good news, but you can do whatever you want with the good news. I'm not here to, we're not here to control that or to tell you what to do. Uh, we're just here to tell you good news, and hopefully you receive it, walk with it. So the first thing is questions in preparation for these D groups. So we're going to have D groups, and these are the practicals for that. Do we have those? Cool. Questions in preparation for a D group. This might seem kind of intense, uh, but once again, the confidant thing, <laughs> being fully known, having fellowship, that's where aim, our aim is freedom. Our aim is fellowship with one another and fellowship with Jesus. That's our focus. So one, do you have a sense of the forgiveness of your sin? You have to come to these meetings in preparation, having these questions answered. Do you have a sense of peace with the Lord? Do you desire for others in the group to tell you your faults? Do you desire for others to tell you all your faults? There's a difference. (laughs) Do you desire for all of us from time to time to tell you what is in our heart toward you? That's a pretty intense question. Consider, do you desire we tell you whatsoever we think, whatsoever we fear, or whatsoever we hear concerning you? That's a little bit more intense. I would say also, come prepared, do you have a desire to share that with brothers and sisters in a group? But when you have that band meeting or the discipleship group, this is what the questions that you will answer. And next slide, yep. What known sins have you committed since our last meeting? What temptations have you encountered? And, two point B, how were you delivered? What are those things that you have thought, said, or done that you think could be sin? Is anything you've said here not true? Or is there another secret you wish to confess? 300 years ago, Wesley figured out, and 2,000 years ago, or 3,000 years ago, David affirmed that what's kept in secret hinders your life. But when you share secrets, though there is a consequence, if I shared with Steve, hey, I've been kind of like dipping into the church funds a little bit just for fun. I don't know, I've been taking that. Um, It's in my interest to confess that. It's also in his and y'all's interest to not trust me with finances anymore. There'd be a consequence. Uh, So I'm not, don't, there there is consequence for sharing your sins. We're not going to hide or shy away from that. There's consequences. There's greater reward in sharing your sins and getting freedom, and then over time showing trust. 
There's a consequence, though. But it's in your benefit to get free, to let go of those burdens that you might have maybe have kept hidden by not sharing with anyone in your life. All right, I'm going to wrap up with my theological points, share a story, and we'll have a response. So laying out the, for those engineers who need uh, some structure. All right, theological points. I have four of them. First thing is you need to be, have conviction of his compassion. You need to have clarity of our wrongdoing. You need to confess our sins to one another. And you need to know that you have the authority to forgive and you have the authority to administer healing through prayer. Those are my four theological points. Check them out in Scripture. They're going to be pretty solid, hopefully. Uh, if they're not, come back to me and we'll talk about it. So those are the four points. Conviction of his compassion. You need to have conviction of the character of God. Clarity of our sin. We need to have clear language for what is sin, what our sin is, our wrong thinking, wrongdoing, wrong believing. Confession of our sins to one another. Last thing is the authority to forgive the authority to minister healing in our prayers. If you have hindrance in your belief, I have a really good story for you. So Jesus has just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration where three of his disciples saw the glory of God. And as he descends, the other nine, who were maybe a little disgruntled that they didn't get to go on the mountain, they got into an argument with the priests and the Pharisees. They were getting in this deep, intense argument. And this crowd had formed... And there's this loud ruckus happening. And Jesus comes down, and as he comes down the mountain, the crowd sees him and just starts running. Um, I don't imagine what the other guys are thinking, but uh, Jesus, he was pretty calm, and he hears them arguing while they're running. Now, I don't know how that happens, so you can imagine if they're like running and like, no, you're still wrong, you know, like, well, that's Jesus, and sprinting away. So Jesus says, what are you arguing about? And they pause and no one really says anything because now they've you know kind of been exposed but in the midst of everything happening a father cries out and says no no no, they're arguing because of me because I brought my only son to you to get healing because he's oppressed by a demon and they couldn't do it that's why I'm here because I had one hope because I heard of a man wherever he was Healing and miraculous things happened, and I brought him to you, and your disciples could do nothing. And Jesus responds, and he says, probably to his disciples, you faithless and twisted generation, how long do I have to bear with you? Bring, bring him to me. And they bring the boy, and the boy starts manifesting and like freaking out. And Jesus looks at him and then says, hey, how long has it been going on to the father? <laughs> so this boy's on the ground manifesting a demon. And he starts a conversation with the father. Just imagine that scenario. And the disciples who have been unwilling, unable to cast out the demon are probably really curious about what's about to happen. And the Pharisees have been arguing with them, showing like, hey, yeah, you couldn't do it. So this scene's happening. Jesus says, how long has it been going on? And the father's like, years. But if, if you can, if you're able, if you're willing, can you heal my son? He's my only son. And Jesus responds, if, if I'm willing... Anything is possible for those who believe. And then he cries out, and he says, no, no, I, I do believe because I made all the steps to get here. But in what I'm seeing and witnessing, I do have unbelief because nothing's happened. I haven't experienced that healing yet, but I do have faith in Jesus. I need you to help me with my unbelief, though. I do believe, but I need help with my unbelief. And I know as a church that we can be there, too, of I've made 
the entire journey and I'm there, but I haven't experienced it yet, Jesus. And that response might seem harsh when he says, if if I'm willing, anything is possible for those who believe. But he fully accepts that, that prayer of faith that he says, I believe, help me with my unbelief. That's a prayer of faith. I have faith, and I also know I'm wrestling right now with doubt, but would you help me? And I know that you're willing. I might wrestle with you how willing you are, but I know that you're willing. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God. Try me and test me. Know my thoughts. Know my heart. Expose any way in me that's offensive or grievous to you and lead me into the way of everlasting. You might have unbelief that he will lead you in the way of ever, everlasting. You might, have, you might have unbelief that if you confess sin or bring out things to the light, that you actually get to experience that way of everlasting. Or you might be in the journey, like all of us are, where you don't get healed instantly, and it takes time. Where struggles take a long, long time to get undone. Because we're pretty complicated creatures. And we have a lot going on. But Jesus is faithful to walk with us every step of the way to our healing, to our freedom, to our deliverance. And what we need, church, is endurance, and we need honesty to continue with him and to continue to confess, to continue to walk in, walk in the light with brothers and sisters. Even when we walk in the light, we fall back into the darkness. Even when we walk into the light and we don't get fully free, that our healing isn't going to come until we continue to walk with brothers and sisters walk in the light and come to Jesus and say, I believe. I need you to help me with my unbelief. So I'm going to invite the life group leaders and elders to come up. If you need prayer for anything and confession of anything, yeah, y'all can come up now. Um, If you need prayer, if you need healing, if you need anything, please come up and receive prayer. Confess your sins to one another. Confess what's going on in your heart to one another and to receive prayer because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective and it's working. It works. I'm going to pray um, and I'm going to invite, everyone can stand. I invite you all to respond in worship, respond in getting ministry from one another. Jesus, we thank you that you conquered sin, that you conquered death, that you conquered shame, that you conquered condemnation, that you defeated everything that hinders us from having fellowship with you, fellowship with one another. We thank you, Jesus, that you have destroyed everything in our life that could hinder us from walking in your fullness. Jesus, I thank you that you defeated the grave. I thank you that you resurrected. And I ask, Jesus, that would you speak today that today, if we hear your voice, that our hearts would respond in saying yes. And we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. And I ask that we would be a church filled with your presence, filled with your power. And when people want to know you, that they would look to us. In Jesus' name, amen.